There's new notes back there. If you didn't get them from last week, there's, there's some of those back there as well. In fact, if you haven't, uh, oh, thank you. If you've missed some of them, um, I've got the leftover notes there. And so if you want them, go ahead and take them because when we're done, they'll be done. So we're in Galatians, the fourth chapter. Praise the Lord. And we just about got done last week with uh, um, the first half of the chapter, but we'll begin and we'll pick up in the 11th verse tonight. <clears throat> I sent an email out to a few of you, not everybody, because not everybody knew, but uh, um, I mentioned on Sunday that Jimmy Rushton had gone home to be with the Lord, and uh, I thought they were going to do like a um, celebration of life later on, but they're actually doing it this uh, Saturday, and so Pastor Becky and I aren't going to be able to go. Um, but like I said, a few of you who know him, I, I sent out the email, so hopefully you got it. Did you get it? Okay. So then you're, you're aware of that. So, praise the Lord. And then uh, this um, Tuesday, we haven't done a lot of it in, in a, note, a lot of notice of it, but we're going to start up our men's event. And so we're going to be meeting this coming Tuesday at 7 o'clock. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, the, the women are always bragging about everything that they do. And so uh, we've, got our, uh, we've, got, we've got our men leading some worship. And then we've got one of our men that's going to share their testimony. And then, now this, this is going to be the clinker, guys. We have Marianne making caramel rolls. <laughs> so if you don't care about worship, if you don't care about the word, if you don't care about somebody's testimony, we've got rolls. <laughs> We, <laughs> and at 7 p.m. At 7 p.m. What did I say? Well, you didn't say you said 7. And I thought with carpet rolls, it would be 7 a.m. <laughs> Y'all don't know me. We're talking the middle of the week. You think I'm going to get up at 7 a.m.? I mean, I'd have to get up by 6.30 to start the coffee, but I don't even get up at 7 a.m., period. <laughs> Don't judge me. <laughs> Hallelujah. I just was listening to somebody tell how she's got to leave at what? Five in the morning? Three? Get, anyway, it's, it's obscene. 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 You know, if God wanted us to be up at that time of the day, he would have given us headlights. So, Well, praise the Lord. Galatians, the fourth chapter. And um, the 11th verse. It's all right to have fun in church. Amen. If you don't want to have fun in church, then you're in the wrong church. So, uh, anyway. Galatians 4, 
11. Maybe I better go to Galatians. Ephesians wouldn't have fit into my topic too well. <clears throat> Paul says, I am afraid for you, lest I have labored for you in vain. Brethren, I urge you to become like me, for I became like you. You have not um, injured me at all. You know what? The, the terminology is there kind of strange when he, he starts. He says, I'm afraid for you, lest I've labored for you in vain. And, and so what Paul's talking about here is he's making reference to the fact that he, he labored to them. When, when he came to them the first time, he preached the gospel to them. And, he, and, and remember the whole, the main topic of this. It's about the Judaizers coming down there and trying to bring the law on them once again. And Paul's saying, I came to you with the gospel of grace and you received it. Did I do all of that labor in vain? Because his concern is that they're reverting back to the, to the old ways that they had operated before. Um, and he's saying, <clears throat> I'm just like you, I'm not special. You know, how I operate is how you operate. How do we operate? We operate by faith. We operate by, by trusting in, in Jesus completely. And then we go on into the 13th verse and he says, you know that because of my physical infirmity, I preached to you, <clears throat> I preached the gospel to you at first. And we're gonna not spend a lot of time talking about that right now because you know, our, the, the beginning of our next lesson, we're looking at this. And so I'm just gonna go over this um, quickly. In my, <clears throat> my trial, which was in my flesh, you did not despise or reject, but you received me as an angel of God, even as Jesus Christ. <clears throat> that then, what then was the blessing you enjoyed? For I bear witness that if possible, you would have plucked out your eyes and given them to me. You would have plucked out your eyes and you would have given them to me. Have I therefore become your enemy because I tell the truth? Now what, what Paul's talking about here, he's talking about his second trip. And um, I'm not going to go through it tonight, but in last week's lesson, uh, we, we looked in the book of Acts, and so if you don't have that lesson, get it. And go back, and what it's, what it's talking about, what that portion of Scripture is talking about, is talking about how <clears throat> Paul, in his first journey um, to Galatia, to this region, uh, as he is preaching the gospel, they began to come against him. And they took him, and in Lystra, one of the cities that, were, that, that is in Galatia, they actually took him and they, they took him outside the city and they stoned him. And uh, they left him for dead. And I believe the reason that they left him for dead was because he was dead. You know, when they stoned somebody, they knew what they were doing. They stoned him. And so uh, Paul's talking about how he came to them now this second time and, and 
uh, because of the infirmity and so forth, the physical issues that they had, that he had, they didn't reject him. Well, I believe that the, the reason that he had some physical issues was because uh, the man had been stoned to death. And uh, even though he was raised up, even though he is healed, there were still uh, consequences or there was still the physical effects of that upon his body. Now, the reason why this is important is it, it, it targets a, a much larger issue because what they began to say, and, and this is what our theologians, many of them of today, what they say, is they say that what, what Paul was talking about here <clears throat> was that he had a physical problem. And because of this physical problem, in spite of it, um, they received him or they, they healed him. But there's, there's really not any proof of that in the scriptures. If we read uh, the 13th verse again, it says, you know that because of a physical infirmity, I preached the gospel to you the first time. And what they try to say, and what, what many theologians try to say, is that Paul had this rare oriental eye disease. And as a result of that, his eyes would matter and his eyes would run and everybody is able to see it. And even in spite of that, they still received him. Now, <clears throat> what happens with that is if we begin to, and again, there, there's, there's no proof of that. It's just a couple of statements that Paul made that they, they take out of context as their proof text for it. Now, the, the problem with it is, if we begin to accept that, then what disease in our bodies are we not going to accept? You know, and, and I know many of us, we may be dealing with physical issues, but if you're dealing with a physical issue, don't settle for the physical issue. Believe what the Word of God says, that by the stripes of Jesus you have been healed. And, and maybe you've received a partial healing bone, but don't settle for a partial healing. You've heard me say this before, you know, if, if some fatal disease attaches itself to my body, I'm going to believe for healing until they plant me in the ground. And people say, well, pastor, that's false hope. No, no that's hope. I don't want hope in death. I don't have to hope for death. It's appointed unto every man once to die, and I'm going to die if Jesus tarries. There's absolutely no question about that. I just want to finish my race. And I don't want some disease shortening my race. And so we don't have to accept that. And so if you're struggling with something, don't struggle any longer. Just accept what the Word says, that by the stripes of Jesus, you have been healed. And we stand upon that. And if we don't see the immediate manifestation of it, I'm still healed. Because that's what the Word of God says. And so if, if Paul had this physical ailment, what it does then, it opens the door for every one of us as a believer who's heard the gospel of grace to settle. I don't believe that Paul would have settled because he knew what Jesus had done for him. But then the other part of it is, there's no proof um, that he had any kind of an eye disease. There's what's said there in, in Galatians 6.13, 
In Galatians 4.13, in Galatians 6.11, it says, See with what large letters I have written to you with my own hand. See with what large letters I have written to you with my own hand. And they say, well, you see, because he, he couldn't see very good, he had to write with large letters. Well, I don't see very good, and I, can, I don't have to write with larger letters. But see, again, the Greek, in, in the context of it, that word letter there, it can be making reference to the size of the print, or it can be making reference to the size of the letter itself. And so Paul spent a lot of time dealing with this subject. And so I believe what he's saying is, see what a large letter I'm writing to you with my own hand. Because the other part of it is, most of the time Paul didn't even write his own letters. That's what Luke was along with him for. Because we see in, in others of the writings of, of Paul that it's uh, credit is given to Luke as the one who actually put it down and wrote it down for him. Then another scripture that's used is 2 Corinthians 12, 7. And lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelation, a thorn in the flesh was given me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. And so this is the other passage that they use, and they say, see, he had this eye disease. It was, it was something... But, but you got to understand what buffeting is. Buffeting is like the waves buffeting the side of a ship. The wave come in, it laps against the side of the ship, it comes in again. And so it'd be something that would be coming repeatedly. And so if it was an eye disease, what it would be saying is that it, it would go away again, and then it would come and it'd buffet him, buff, and then it'd go away again, and it'd come and buffet him. But if we would just simply read the Bible, it must say, read the Bible. Read the Word. If we just simply read the Word, because you know what? The Word will interpret the Word. Amen? That's the number one principle of Bible interpretation allows Scripture to interpret Scripture. And so here we are, we look at this. And it says, unless, there should, unless I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelation. The revelation of what? The revelation of the truths of the Word of God. Lest I should be exalted above measure. A thorn in the flesh was given me. People say, well, you know, God had to humble him so that he didn't get too proud. Scripture interprets Scripture. It says, lest I be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelation, a thorn in the flesh was given me, a messenger of Satan, to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. Now, 
some of this seems kind of confusion, confusing. Um, you know, in 1 Peter 5, 6, it says, Therefore humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. Do you realize that God wants to exalt you? But there was a messenger of Satan sent to buffet Paul, lest he be exalted above measure. What does that mean? You see, Paul, or excuse me, Satan, did not want Paul to be exalted, not because he wanted him to be humbled, but because he didn't want you and I, he didn't want anybody to receive the message that he was preaching. So what was Satan trying to do? He was trying to stop the message. And how was he trying to stop the message? By buffeting him, by bringing this attack and that attack and another attack to stop him. Let me tell you something. There are times, I think it's all right to say this in church, when it seems like all hell is breaking loose. You ever been there? Yeah. I've been there. You, ever been, you know, and you think, oh God, what am I doing wrong? You might be doing something right. You know, when, when did that first buffeting, that first attack begin to come against you? I don't know about you, for me, it was when I received Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. Well, I thought we weren't supposed to have any attacks. No, we just have faith to deal with the attacks. And so why would the enemy come against us at that point? To discourage us? To get us to quit? I remember when I was at COC and we began to get a hold of the Word of Faith message. We began to heal about, hear about healing. We were never so sick in our family in, a, in the entire time that we'd been married. Why is that? Because the enemy was coming against us to buffet us for what reason? To discourage us, to get us to quit, to get us to come to the conclusion that this faith stuff doesn't work. Let me tell you something. It's not faith stuff. It's faith in the Word of God, and it works every single time. We may not see the immediate manifestation of it, but it works every single time. And so why does the enemy attack us? He wants to discourage us. He wants us to get us, get us to quit. Well, you know, when I didn't go to church at all, I had less problems than I have now. <laughs> Why is that? Because the enemy's coming against you. Why? Because he wants to get you to quit coming to church. So that you don't hear the word of God. Because when you hear the word of God, faith comes. When faith comes, you gain the power, the victory to overcome whatever it is that the world has to throw against us. And so this is what's happening to Paul. It isn't God bringing these things against Paul. It's the enemy bringing these things against him. It's, Saul, it's Satan bringing these things against him to discourage him, to disrupt, destroy the message. Now listen to this. In 2 Corinthians, the 11th chapter, it's in your notes, so you can look it up later on and read it for yourself. In the 23rd verse, Second Corinthians eleven twenty three, and it says, "Are these ministries of Christ? I speak as a fool. 
I am more in labors, more abundant in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequently, in deaths often. From the Jews, five times I received 40 uh, stripes minus one. Uh, the reason they only gave them 39 stripes was because they believed that if you took 40 stripes, it would kill you. And so he took, how many times? Five times. I received 40 stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. That doesn't mean that somebody takes a stick and hits you over the head with it. Beaten with rods, what that means is they, they take you and they expose the bottom of your feet and they, they take rods and they whip the bottom of your feet. Can you imagine? Until they're broken. You wonder why Paul was kind of ugly? <laughs> and I say that because, you know, they couldn't find any accusation against Paul. And I forget exactly where it is in the scriptures. If you really want to know, I'll look it up later. But it talks about Paul and they can't, they can't come against what he preaches. They can't come against what he, his character. And so what they say, well, you know, he's kind of ugly. That's Schroeder's paraphrase. Well, let me tell you something. If you were beaten with stripes five times, 40, times, 40 stripes minus one, and you were beaten with rods, you might not be so pretty either. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. And when they talk about being stoned, you know, <clears throat> one time I was preaching in a church in the Philippines and they, they threw stones, rocks on the roof and it boom, 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 boom down the tin roof while I was preaching. That's not what it's talking about. It's talking about stoning. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and day I've spent in the deep. In journeys often in perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of, of Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and toil, in sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fasting often, in cold and nakedness, besides the other things. <laughs> now, I don't know about you, that sounds like a little bit of buffeting going on. That's what he's talking, and, and, and it wasn't God that was bringing it against him, but it was the enemy trying to destroy him, trying to discourage him, trying to get him to quit. In the 12th chapter, still in, in 2 Corinthians, the ninth verse, and he says, and he said to me, my grace is sufficient for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Let's read that in context, starting in the seventh verse. Unless I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelation. See, what's the issue? The revelation. Who gave him the revelation? God. What does God say? What did we just read in First Peter? He says, if, if we humble ourselves, he will exalt us in due season. And how's he going to exalt him? Here, Paul is being exalted by revelation. What's the revelation for? To share with other people the goodness, the grace of Christ. That I might be exalted above measure. A thorn in the flesh was given to me. A messenger of Satan. God's going to send a messenger of Satan? Let me tell you something. 
If God wants to get something done, he'll get it done. He doesn't need Satan to do it. And so it's a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. Satan does not want you exalted. Now, he wants you exalted in pride. Because pride cometh before the fall. But we're not talking about pride. We're talking about the message. And if that message is exalted through Paul, we're going to hear. People are going to hear. And so he's trying to stop it. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. Now, Paul's not going to ask the Holy Ghost to leave him. He's talking about this demonic entity that's following him out, buffeting him continually. And he, God, said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. You know, whatever we're dealing with, Christ's grace is sufficient. But the problem is, we've got to know what he's provided for us through grace. And we have to be so convinced that that grace is mine. That I'm able to stand no matter what the attack of the enemy is. Because we're, we're so tempted after we've stood for so long, we come to the conclusion it's never going to happen. That's why Paul says in Ephesians 6, he says, when you've done all the stand, stand therefore. What are we standing on? We're standing on the assurance of the grace of God that what he said is ours is ours. And we receive it by faith. And because we receive it by faith, we claim it as being ours right now and we refuse to let go of it no matter what the circumstances are in our life. Because it's so easy to say, I give up. We're not quitters. Christians are not quitters. Christians follow through to the very end. And in the end, we are always, always, always victorious. We don't know defeat because we serve a winning God. And so he says, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in your weakness. What does that mean? That means that when we know that he's done it all and I am completely dependent upon him. Now, now why would why would Paul bring these thoughts into the book of Galatians. Because remember where we started. He said, I, I preach this, this message to you. I fear that I've preached it to you in vain. Because when we begin to feel like I've done it, I no longer trust in him. I begin to trust in self. What was, what was the issue with the children of Israel? Why was the law added until the seed? Remember, we talked about that. Why was the law added? Because they saw no need for a Savior. 
And so the law was added to reveal to them they couldn't do it in themselves. Because what happened? They thought they were pretty good. They thought they were handling things pretty well themselves. And so they didn't need to depend upon. They didn't need to trust in God. We don't ever want to get to that place where we're so strong within ourselves that we don't need Jesus. We will always need Jesus. We will always need the Holy Spirit. And so he's saying, I pray that, that my ministry to you wasn't in vain. He's saying, I'm praying that you have not reverted back to your old way of doing things. And so then we pick up where we are tonight in Galatians, the sixth chapter, and the 17th, 17th verse. I didn't say sixth chapter, did I? I thought I did. I thought I heard that from someplace. Fourth chapter, 17th verse. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that you should no longer walk like the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind. I'm in Ephesians again. I love Ephesians. They zealously court you. Who? The Judaizers. Let me tell you something. People that are in air will court you. They'll try to draw you away from your place of safety, your place of protection. They'll try to draw you back into the very things that you've come out of. You know, that's why, you know, we, we talk to the um, prisoners all the time. You know, you've got a, you know, your, your, your friendships from the past, your connections from the past, you've got you've to lop it off. You've got to cut it off because they will always try to draw you back in. The world will always try to draw you back in. And you see, these Judaizers are doing the very same thing. The very thing that these, and the thing that's ironic about it, is that Gentiles had never been part of it in the first place. But they're trying to draw them back to, to bring that law upon them. They're courting them. They're trying to win them over. You know what? I've, I've found this out about the gospel. I don't have to win you over. If I will preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, that's what will win you over. See, I don't, I don't, <laughs> I don't want people dependent upon me because I'm a man. I'm subject to screw up. But Jesus real, never will. Now hopefully, in my position as a pastor, I can guide you, I can direct you, I can help you. But listen, I'm not the one you want to look to. You want to look to Jesus, the author, the perfecter of our faith. And so what I'm preaching to you, 
ought to point you to Jesus. If it points you to anything else, it'll lead you astray. But, is, <clears throat> but then he goes on in the 18th verse and he says, but it is good to be zealous in a good thing. Always and not only when I am present with you. He says, I want you to be zealous, but be zealous about the good thing. Be zealous about the good news, the, the gospel of grace. And he says, not only when I'm with you, but when I'm absent, when I'm not with you. you see, this gospel, it's not just for Sunday morning. It's not just for Wednesday night. It's for every moment of every day. And this is what Paul is saying. I want you to live it every moment of every day. And you know what's interesting about it is he says if, we, if he tells us we can do it, we can do it. Because he's writing it under the, Holy, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. But notice, we're not supposed to be just kind of laid back about it. He says we need to be zealous about it. We need to be excited about what Jesus has done in our life. And I think what happens so often in the church is we're excited when we're first born again, but then we, we cool off. In fact, we encourage people. We say, you know, you'll, you'll settle in and you know, you're kind of excited right now and kind of flipping off the handle, but you, you'll eventually be like me. Boring. No, stay zealous about the things of God. Don't ever back off on the things of God. Verse 19, my little children. And so he's talking to, to the believers. He says, my little children from whom I labored in child, labor in child uh, birth again. Let me try it again. My little ch children for, just calm. We don't have to get through this tonight. We've got two more weeks. My little children for whom I labor in birth again until Christ is formed in you. He's talking about intercession. Talking about how he interceded for them and how he was the one who prayed with them and brought salvation to them. And so he was the one that, that presented the message of salvation to them. But now he's laboring over them again that they would continue in that which he brought to them, the message of Christ. He wants, you know, we, we, we start with Jesus. We're, we're to be that abode. We're to be that temple that God takes up residence in. And so we're to continue, and that's what Paul's talking about here. Verse 20, I would like to be present with you now to change my tone, my tone for, I am, for I have doubts about you. I don't have confidence. I like to be cheerful. Paul says, I'd like to come and give you one of those nice, gracie messages. But he says, I fear for you. Notice what Paul's motivation is. Paul's motivation is not that he wants to control people. Paul's motivation isn't that he wants them under his thumb. Paul's motivation is that he's fearful that they're going to get back into works and they're going to lose sight of the grace that's been made available to them through Christ Jesus. And that what happens then is they'll get, they'll come back under bondage again. Remember what we read. 
It was for freedom that Christ set us free. He didn't set us free so that we could come back under bondage once again. And so the last part of this chapter, um, Paul begins to give an explanation of the law. In verse 21, he asks the question. In verse 22 through 23, he gives a history background concerning the law. 24 through 27, he, he brings about a comparison between the two covenants. And in the last verses, he talks about the application of it. Because, you know, Paul's the one that I got this from. If this, if this gospel, if what we read here in the Bible, if I can't take this, and if I can't apply it to my everyday life, what benefit is it? Thank God for history. But history, unless there's an application, it doesn't help us. Thank God for the truths and the principles in the Word of God. But if I can't apply them to my everyday life, what benefit? How, how's it going to change anything for me? But the exciting thing about the Word of God is that it's to be applied in our daily lives. That's what it's for. Verse 21. And he asks the questions, tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not hear the law? Again, he's talking to the Gentiles, and he's, he's basically saying, you don't know what you're asking. You are never under the law. You don't understand the law. You don't know the law. It was never given to you. Why do you want to... I hear it all the time concerning individuals that, that are talking about the law that have no understanding of the law because they've never been under the law. Because the law was never given to them. It wasn't given to us. It was given to the, to the, to the Israelis, the Jews, for a period of time. From the time Moses gave it until the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you can go over to Israel and you got a whole nation operating under the law. Why? Because they have not received Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. I believe the Jews. I'm supportive of the Jews. I believe that they are God's chosen people. But there is only one way of salvation. And that's through Jesus Christ. And because they have been unwilling to accept to receive him. They're still under bondage. I shared with you last week the, the bondage that you see over there. Verse 22, we get into the historical background. For it was written that Abraham had two sons, the one by the bondwoman and the other by a free woman. Romans 9, 6 it says, But it is not that the word of God has taken no effect, for they are not all Israel who are Israel. In other words, some are still operating under the law, and he's saying that's not real Israel. They're Israelis, but they're not the real Israel because the real Jew is the one who has been born again. You know, they use different terminology. They talk about being a completed Jew. And really, that's probably the most accurate because they are a Jew, but they are completed because now they're in Christ Jesus. Yes. Romans 9, 7 says, Nor are they all children because they are, are the seed of Abraham. But in Isaac, your seed shall be called. And so he has this, 
this comparison because remember, Ishmael was a seed of Abraham. But just because there was Isaac and Ishmael, that doesn't mean that they're both um, the true seed. Only the one is the true seed. The other, as we're going to see as we go along here, is the work of the flesh. Verse 8 and 9, we're in Romans 9 right now. That is, those who are the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God. But the children of the promise are counted as seed. Who are the children of, of promise? Those that receive Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior. The seed is that of Isaac, not of Ishmael. For this is the word of promise. At this time I will come and Sarah shall have a son. Notice Sarah only had one son. And that's the seed of promise. Ishmael was the seed of works. It represents man's effort. Isaac is a seed of promise. We have a promise. Jesus came, Jesus died, Jesus was resurrected from the dead. That's the promise that's been fulfilled for each and every one of us. And within that promise is all the graces that have been made available to us through Christ Jesus. Sarah shall have a son. Doesn't prophesy about anybody else, it's to be Sarah. And we all know the story where Sarah and Abraham got impatient. Anybody able to identify with impatience? They got impatient. And so they made this quality decision together. We will help God out. And so Sarah gave Abraham Hagar and through Hagar, he had a son, Ishmael. And we're still dealing with it today. Because what we see with the Israeli and uh, um, Arab nations, there, there's, there's the fruit of it. It's an interesting thing. Spirit will bear fruit, and works will bear fruit. But what fruits do we want? We want the works of the Spirit. And so in Romans 4.17 it says, As it is written, I have made you, Abraham, I have made you a father of many nations. In the presence of him whom he believed, God who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did. And so what they were to do was they were to call those things that do not exist as though they did. In other words, God declared, even though Sarah appears to be barren, and you appear to be too old to have a son, and it looks, it appears to be an absolute impossibility, that's how I'm going to do it. And so we look at the impossible, and then we determine we're going to help God out. And so what we do is we give birth to Ishmael's. Sarah, the free woman, 
is a type of the promise. And so when you read through this, you know, whether it's Galatians or whether it's Romans, even when you're reading it back in, uh, in Genesis, always remember, Sarah represents the free woman. She represents the promise. Hagar, the bondwoman, because remember, she was a slave. And she is a type of the law. Remember, we talked about it last week. They were enslaved to the law. The law enslaves you. The law, <clears throat> there, there, there's a positive element of it. It gives you parameters. But at the same time, uh, an individual that's under the law is enslaved to it. And it wasn't for slavery that Christ set us free. He set us free so that we can be free. You know, it's an interesting thing. We've all experienced it with our children that when we try to lay the law down, what does the flesh want to do? Because what does the law approach? The law doesn't apply to your spirit man because your spirit man is free. What does the law apply to? The law applies to the flesh. And what happens when law is applied to the flesh? We want to rebel against it. Oh, don't look at me with that tone of voice. I've seen some of you drive. And you know what the speed limit is. You can claim ignorance all you want. You won't, you won't, you won't, you won't pass the highway patrolman. And it won't pass me. What are you doing? You're about, stop pointing your fingers at one another. It's what the law does. It's the very nature of the law. It produces rebellion. Dr. Cole taught this principle. He says, rules without relationship produces rebellion. Do you know why the law produced rebellion? Because they had no relationship. You know, I can look at the law and I don't have to have a sense, a feel of rebellion towards me because I no longer have to dwell upon the law. I dwell upon my relationship. The law says, thou shalt not commit adultery. The law without relationship is going to find somebody unfaithful. The law, for a period of time in my life, accomplished what it needed to accomplish because it was speaking to the flesh. By the, the way, I was never promiscuous or anything like that, but it, it had its purpose. But you know what? I don't even have to pay attention to the law today because of the relationship that I have with my wife. My relationship replaced the need for the law. That's what Jesus is supposed to do in your life, in my life. It's supposed to replace a need for the law because that relationship is to be so strong that I have no desire to have any other gods before him. I have no desire to break any of the, the commandments that we have in the Ten Commandments and elsewhere. Why? Because of my relationship with Jesus. You know, even as a child, I, 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 didn't, I didn't understand the law. You know, we talk a lot about law, but I didn't understand the law. 
And, you know, to a, to a degree, I didn't even understand relationship. But as a child, I had a relationship with God. You know, I believe in uh, uh, accountability, the age of accountability. You know, I, I believe there came a point in my life where the law revived and I died. But prior to that, I had a relationship with Jesus. And I can remember as a, as a child and, and I'd curse and swear or something and I'd lay in bed at, that, at night and I'd cry because I knew that I'd hurt the heart of God. Now, nobody had taught me that. I knew that because of the relationship that I had with him. We need to have an intimate relationship with Jesus and it'll take care of a whole lot of our problems. Galatians 20, 20 through 24, it says, For it is written that Abraham had two sons. How many sons did Abraham have? He had two sons. The one by the bondwoman, Hagar, and the other by the free woman, Sarah. But he was a, who was of the bondwoman, speaking of Ishmael, was born according to the flesh. And he, and he of the free woman, through promise, speaking of Isaac. So one of the bondwoman was born of the flesh. The other of the free woman was of the promise. Which things are symbolic? These are symbolic. They're analogies that we can look to. For these are the two covenants. The one from Mount Sinai, which gives birth to bondage, which is Hagar. That's where the law was given. He's talking about the bondage that is, that is produced. Romans says that there's a weakness in the law. And the weakness is there because it, it, it can only work in the flesh. And the flesh will never set us free. We find our freedom only in Christ Jesus. And so Hagar is a type of the law working through the flesh. And then he gives the comparison of the two covenants. We find that in verse 24. Which things are symbolic? For these are the two covenants. The one from Mount Sinai, which gives birth to bondage, which is Hagar. For this Hagar is Mount Sinai, in Arabia, and corresponds to Jerusalem, which now is, and is in bondage with her children. So Hagar is a type of Mount Sinai. Sarah is a type of Mount Zion, the place of promise. The law was given on Mount Sinai. The promise was given on Mount Zion. Having trouble with speech tonight. Mount Sinai, the law given in Arabia, the land of cursing. Remember we talked about where they went up and they one side cursed and the other side was the blessing. There was the instruction that was given to Joshua by Moses through God. Well, the Arabia was the land of cursing. The promise was given in the land of promise. One is a type of the other. Sarah is a type of Zion. 
the birth of Isaac. Hagar is a type of Sinai. Gave birth to Ishmael, father of the Arabs. Like we've already said, that's where all the fighting is going on today because of the conflict. And so it's a conflict. We look at it as a conflict between Israel, or actually it's a conflict between the, wor- the, the Arabs and the rest of the world. But we see it between the Arabs and Israel. But really, it's a conflict between flesh and spirit. But see, that's why there'll never Forgive me. Maybe it's a lack of faith on my part. There will never be a treaty signed that'll bring peace in the Middle East because it isn't a physical problem. It's a spiritual issue. And that's why you can look at country after country that has signed treaties and agreements with one another and Time after time after time, they're broken because they're trying to take and, and, and settle something with, with a physical decision that is ultimately a spiritual decision. It'll just never be settled. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren, you who do not bear. Break forth and shout, you are not in labor. For the desolate has many more children than she who has a husband. What's he talking about this? He's talking about faith. Rather than Sarah, rather than giving up, she should have been rejoicing because of the promise. What can we get out of this? When we don't see the answer, rather than giving up and trying to do something in our flesh, we need to shout. We need to rejoice. We need to give praise and glory and honor. Let me back up because I skipped a few verses. Verse 25. As Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds with Jerusalem, which is and is in bondage with her children. But, but Jerusalem above is free, which is the mother of us all. The mother of what? The mother of faith the mother of promise, the mother of putting our trust in him. And then I read Galatians 4.27. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren, you who do not bear. Break forth and shout, you who do not labor, are not in labor. For the, for the desolate has many more children than she who has a husband. This is a reference to Isaiah 51 or 54.1. Sing, O barren, you have not barren, born. Break forth into singing and cry aloud, you who have not labored with child. For more are the children of the desolate than the children of the married woman, says the Lord. And I think oftentimes we try to take this and we we say that it applies to, to the physical Israel. No, it, it can't be. It's, it's a type of the church. Israel isn't that big. But the church, the spiritual Israel, is huge. What he's talking about here is faith. 
Talk about Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And when we hear the word of God, we need to proclaim it, we need to shout it out, we need to declare what Jesus has truly come to us, accomplished for us. Well, next week, we're gonna talk about the application of it. And uh, how this applies to our life. Because it does apply to us, because there is a spiritual battle. And oftentimes we, what we wanna do is we wanna revert back to the flesh. And what that does is it always brings us back to bondage once again. But when we realize it's a spiritual battle, and we begin to realize what's going to truly produce change in our life isn't going to be my willpower. It's gonna be my yielding to the Spirit of God and allowing Him to work in my life. Because this is why this is so important to us. Because it does apply to our everyday life. Because just like Sarah and Abraham, we have a tendency to be drawn towards Hagar. And what we do when we're drawn towards Hagar is we give birth to, a, to an Ishmael. And see, the thing we need to understand, we'll talk about this next week. Works of the flesh will produce. But what is it producing? Do we really want the longevity of the outcome of what it's going to produce in our life? And the interesting thing is, that which of the flesh and that which is of the spirit, they look very similar. I wouldn't be surprised at all if Ishmael looked a lot like Abraham, because it was his son. So they can look alike. Oftentimes we can be fooled, we can be deceived, because the works of the flesh can produce, but do we want what it's going to produce? In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, in Jesus' name, goodbye. We've got kids for Omen. Hallelujah. And they're really cute, too. <laughs>